and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. My name's Andy Bell. Your name's Luke Niblock. That's one thing that hasn't changed in recent times, even though uh, literally everything else has. <laughs> <laughs> that is my name, yeah. How's it going, mate? You good? Yeah, doing well, man. It's much of the much, much of muchness for me. Like, I've still been doing the same thing that we were talking about from the last pod. So, just been out running a bit. Like, the days have just been kind of ticking by. But, I mean, it's gone a bit quicker than I thought. So, I'm not complaining too much. I know football coming back, obviously. So, yeah, so uh, just to briefly do a wee introduction on what this podcast is going to be. So I, we were chatting in the previous week, sort of wondering what we could do for uh, a bit of an, uh, a podcast in between what's happening with no, no international football on at the minute. And we sort of talked about, you know, we could do something on the playoffs, the Nations League, how that dynamic is going to work, how that's going to be scheduled. Um, and obviously the most pressing thing is the, the new manager question, Michael O'Neill leaving and a new manager coming in. But we thought actually, you know what, we'll... We'll split those over two podcasts, so we'll, we'll put one out next week, sort of dealing with everything I just said there, and we'll dedicate this one to uh, the new manager chat. Um, there's just a couple of things I want to say before uh, we dive into the, the big questions. So first of all, obviously, just a wee bit of a caveat. We are recording this on Skype. Uh, we're not breaking any social distancing rules with that one. I've seen like uh, like shows on Netflix and ITV where they say that at the start. They put that in so people aren't like outraged or whatever. And I thought, yeah, that's that's going in the podcast. So I sound really important. So yeah, nice to get that one out of the way. But yeah, obviously that this is uh, this is going to be on Skype. And the audio was fine for that last time, so that's all good. And the second thing is just to thank Katrina Fitzpatrick for the introduction music to this podcast. So uh, she was sort of messing about on on Garage Band one night. I jokingly said, "Dear, do you fancy knocking something off for the podcast?" And she actually she actually came back to me half an hour later. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be dreadful. How am I going to tell her uh, politely that we're not using it? But it was actually unreal. So thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, I gave for that. It was great. I have to say, I'm very impressed. Absolutely class. Thank you very much, Katrina. And if you want to sort of see more of her stuff, she's on Twitter. She's, her at is Live, Laugh, Learn. So yeah, less said about that, the better. But uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, her music and creativity is better than her, her choice of Twitter handles. And um, also what I'll do is I'll, I'll link her SoundCloud. Uh, in the bio as well I think that's something you can do so obviously we you know we put this thing out as a free podcast it always will be free but if there's there's one thing you can do just to, to repay me or whatever and um, go over there give her a follow on those things and give her a bit of support so yeah thank you very much Katrina okay Nib football's coming back or well football is back uh, have you been watching the Bundesliga? No I, ha- I haven't been tuning into too much of the Bundesliga I caught some uh, plenty of the highlights because obviously BT upload plenty of the highlights on YouTube which is great like it's really nice to kind of jump into bed and start watching those late in the evenings and all, which is great. I mean, it's just exciting to see it come back. Germany has obviously handled the whole thing really, really well ever since the kind of virus um, came into the world. And it's, it's, it's really refreshing to see them get things going in a really successful manner. You know, there hasn't been too many problems with it. Um, it's been interesting how, you know, how that's affected, you know, home form and away form, or how that's kind of gone out the window a little bit. Yeah, um, it's mad, isn't it? Been, I mean, the standard's been pretty decent. I have to say, I'm, I'm, I was surprised, you know, first weekend back, Apparently the standard was great in some of the games, you know, compared to what some people were expecting. So, you know, I think it's it's a really it's, it's a positive time for football, and I think things are going to be a little bit better than a lot of people thought initially. You know, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I was um, I was just a bit ex- quite excited for it to come back, just because it was football, and we'd been starved of football for two or three months. Um, and I, I actually, I sort of like laughed in the face of uh, of people who said, you know, they're actually going to properly adopt the team. Whatever, because it was sort of thing. You know, you've, you've got your team that you support. You can't just adopt the team for three months. You're not going to be properly into it. Um, so I did one of those, you know, those mad flu flu chart things where you answered a couple of questions and it took you to the team that you should support in the Bundesliga. Yes. You know, one of those things. So, like, the first the first question was, you know, are you interested in winning? Well, yes. <laughs> and the second question was, would you sacrifice all morals in you know, in favour of winning. Well, yes, as well. So I just got Bayern Munich. <laughs> I think I got Freiburg. It was some like you know. I think I went down a, a serious, strange alleyway to get to that club. But yeah, fair um, enough. They seem to be quite liked, actually. Um, the Bundesliga, yeah. they're, they're a decent side. Yeah, I've actually I've got a really good mate from Freiburg, a German guy that I met last year, and he's always saying at me, you know, you should come over. Uh, we'll go to Freiburg game together, and you know, I'm definitely going to do that. Actually, I've never yeah, been to a game. Really yeah. interesting, like the atmosphere and the and the culture around that. They've actually they're getting a new stadium in as well, being built right now, which is I think hosting maybe the Europa League final next year. Oh, Could okay. be wrong on that one. That's just off the top of my head, but I remember him yeah. mentioning something like that to me. Um, but I yeah I, I I've actually got myself a wee team, so I have been watching a good bit of it. And um, 
like it's one of those things where like say you're sitting down at half five on a Saturday, you want to watch a game and like always I would never even consider watching the Bundesliga or even any other European leagues. And maybe that's just, you know, my lack of knowledge or lack of culture or whatever. But you know, if Norwich were playing Southampton or something mad and you know, there was a Bundesliga game on. I would just always watch the Premier League game, even if it was of absolutely no interest to me. Yeah. Um, but now, having actually watched the Bundesliga and really enjoyed it, you know, if there was a game like that on in the Premier League and say, you know, Dortmund were playing the Bundesliga, I might actually be slightly more inclined to, to stick the European football on, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's given you a bit of taste of that European football, like you said, and, and it does make you realise that the standard of competition in those leagues, I mean, albeit, you know, Bayern obviously win the thing most of the time, but the football that gets played in that league is pretty is pretty brilliant actually, and there's some there's some really good sides in there. So it's nice, it's refreshing to see something a bit different. You know, you used to seeing a lot of these Premier League teams play this style of football, and you get to see it every week. But it's nice to have a bit of a change, you know. But obviously, in saying that, the Premier League coming back is, is the most exciting thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and just English football in general. Obviously, with for for our boys, the Championship as well. We've a lot of players in there. Uh, league One was was uh, was done on points per game, so. Uh, there'd be a question mark about sort of maybe the fitness of our players that are playing in that league if they haven't had a lot of match fitness before the next few games for Northern Ireland. But again, that's something we'll talk about in the next uh, on the next podcast. I, I sort of adopted Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen, they're my team because I just sat down and watched them one day. They've got a young manager who play a good brand of football. Obviously, they're um, quite quite well known in the Bundesliga. You know, they're, they're known to be a Bundesliga team. I think they've won a few titles over the years. Um, but they, I just loved watching them because there were when when the Bundesliga came back, there were something like eight points from, not even from safety, because Germany have that mad relegation promotion yeah. playoff between the, the team and the, and the Bundesliga Zwei. And uh, so they uh, they were like eight points from safety, but they strung a couple of results together. And like every time, it, obviously there's no fans there and there's a bit of a lack of atmosphere, but anything they did positive, like their subs and the backroom staff were given absolute stacks on the sidelines. Yeah. Like, smashing the roof of the, of the yeah. subs bench and all that. And it just sounded like there were fans there. I just thought, Perfect. you know, that was, that, that was really fun. You know, they're really yeah. fun to watch. So, so they're my team. We've, we've got Paderborn away tomorrow. We'll have to win that. Um, Why not? Yeah. So they're bottom. <laughs> we're, they're bottom. We're second bottom. And we're, we're really, we've been targeting that one for points for a few weeks. So up the further. Up the Werder, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge name in Bundesliga. Werder Bremen, everyone knows that name, you know, if you're a football fan. So, yeah, all the part of them. Hopefully they they, they stay up and they, they stay in that league, you know? Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a big part in the Bell household as well. Of course. <laughs> okay, <laughs> should, we get, should we get stuck into the, the manager chat then? Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty to talk about. So, uh, the sort of structure, the way we're going to do this is, well, we're going we're gonna to take the, the top three candidates for this. So, like, if you look at what the journalists are saying, um, and, and how the odds, how the, how the bookies uh, have the favourites for this job. There are three main candidates for it, so we're really going to focus in on those uh, because doing any more, I mean, there's a load of, of managers that are, are tied at like 25 to 1, and if, if we did one, we'd have to do them all. We don't have the time for that. So uh, I'm just going to take them in, in reverse order of uh, how likely they are to get the job according to the bookies. Um, and let me just see here to get my notes up. So what, what, what I'll do is for these ones, I'll uh, I'll run through their their sort of career profile, what they've done in management so far, give a bit of a, a background to that, just sort of based on the facts, and then we can have a chat about whether we want them uh, to be our manager or not, and a bit of an opinion on how, how they would work in Northern Ireland. So happy enough to start with Tommy Wright. Yes, work away. Okay, so he's uh, he's eight to thirteen with the bookies, so he's actually most likely right now. Now that's uh, I think that's more of a case of the fact that he's just recently left St. Johnston, actually, and the bookies must think there's uh, some sort of a link between that. From what I hear, the stories coming out are that there is actually no link between that. He's resigned on uh, based on other matters. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But he's slight favourite, just ahead of Ian Barclough and Stephen Robinson, which are obviously the other ones we're going to talk about. So I've got my phone in one hand and my notes in the other here. So let's, let's see how this works. Uh, mm -hmm. So he, start, he started off in 2003. Uh, as management, took over Limavada United in the second division of Northern Irish football. Um, so he took over in November, got promoted as third place. I think that was maybe the mad season where the Irish League went from 12 teams to 16 teams and something like five teams in the, in the championship got promoted. Uh, but anyway, he took them up and took them to seventh in the Irish League in 2004 and then fifth in 2005. So he did a pretty amazing job there with Limavada. Also got them to the semis of the Irish Cup and uh, with that fifth place in 2005, qualified them for the Intertoto Cup, which... Uh, is some achievement for a, 
I don't want to say a small club, um, you know, but not a, certainly not a club you, you associate with European football. So um, they they didn't they ended up they didn't apply for a license there, and Wright left them um, on sort of ambitious terms. Uh, then joined Balamina 2005 2008 to go from Kenny Shields. Uh, he was sacked following eighth an eighth place finish, uh, and in his three years in Balamina, finished seventh, ninth, and sixth, and reached the 2008 County Antrim Shields final. And then resigned at the end of 2008, which Balamina reluctantly accepted. So, you know, that wasn't the case of uh, he was pushed before he, uh, he was pushed, uh, or jumped before he was pushed. That's the cliche I'm looking for. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he resigned and they reluctantly accepted. Then did a bit of work between 2008 and 2009, both at Norwich and at Shamrock Rovers as a goalkeeper coach. Obviously, he was a goalkeeper uh, in his playing days. And then went back into Irish League management, took over Lisburn Distillery. Um, so their manager just got sacked after a fourth place finish, quite surprisingly. And Distillery were in, in, in really difficult financial turmoil at the time. So he steered them to safety. 11th place in 2010, 6th place in 2011. Uh, actually won them the League Cup in 2011. So I think that was Distillery's first uh, first trophy in, in a good while. Um, and then and th this next part is sort of the the bit that we're really going to focus in on because it was his time at St Johnson. It's the reason that he's, uh, you know, such a a touted candidate for this job. So he was assistant to Steve Loomis from 2011, 2013. Obviously, Loomis is a familiar face to uh, to this podcast. Sorry, not this podcast <laughs> to Northern Ireland. Um, so if I can just rattle through his his finishes in the league, starting from 2014 and going to 2020, uh, finished sixth in 2014, then fourth, fourth again, fourth again, then eighth, seventh and sixth this season. So obviously, well, a bit of a chance here with that one, to be fair, because the, the Scottish League has um, obviously done it in points per game, as we were saying about League One as well. And yeah. they, were they were seventh, they were a point behind Hibs, but had a game in hand. Um, so the points per game actually put them above Hibs, even though their game was away to Rangers. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe bluffed that one a bit, Tommy, but you know what, we'll not argue, <laughs> with, your, we'll not argue with your record, especially because he, um, he brought the Scottish Cup to... St. Johnson in 2014, beat Dundee United 2-1 in the final. Um, so again, you know, not a club overly associated with major silverware. Um, so um, that's, that's, that's Tommy Wright. Yeah, do you want to give me your, your thoughts? I mean, obviously, you know, he's, he's somebody who, well, let's, we can say this now, you know, he, he's not my choice or he's not your choice, but he is somebody who, you know, a lot of Northern Ireland fans hold in high esteem. Um, even, you know, supportive virus league clubs like Limavati, Balamina, and Distillery will will talk up his his, his successes, but you know. Meanwhile, he's not he's not our choice, but he's, you can't argue with his, his record on unlimited resources, can you? Well, yeah. What I, what I would say it's no surprise, you know, that he has been linked with the job. I mean, he's obviously spent you know many years in his management career, you know, in the Irish League, you know, working with these teams, and I'm sure he's kind of struck up a bit of a bond with plenty of Irish League fans over the years. And I'm sure there's, like you said, there'd be plenty that would kind of, you know, speak very highly of him. And I think, you know, you're going to St. Johnson days. That's obviously what you're going to focus on. You know, that's a bigger name. You know, he's suddenly in, in you know, in Scottish football. And Northern Ireland, you've always had a bit of a connection with Scottish football. You know, there's, there's no surprise that we're kind of looking at someone like this who's been heavily involved in that league. Um, and, you know, and you look at his silverware there, you know, he has won things. He, he's, he's definitely, you know, been effective in that regard. And, you know, I just think for me, and I think for you as well, it's the, the direct style of play. You know, it's this kind of more, I know he's kind of turned a bit more progressive, you know, as you said, in, in 2018 mm -hmm. um, since then. But it's this style of play that I'm a little bit concerned about because I just, I'm not sure it's, you know, exactly the best follow-up for Michael O'Neill. And in my head, you know, someone to replace Michael O'Neill would probably be someone who has a similar, you know, kind of approach to the game and who's someone who is, Kind of just like another little Michael O'Neill, essentially. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you can argue with it, you know, about this guy's this this guy's pedigree. You know, this he's obviously he's been in the game for a long time. He's managed plenty of these sides, plenty of experience. He's you know he had his playing days as well. Um, and he, you know he seems like a versatile enough manager. But yeah, I, I just think it's that style of play that I would look at and, and maybe question um, with 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 Tommy Wright. You know. Yeah, and and that's fair enough. And, and the, you know we. I, I completely agree with you on that. That is, that is the worry that, that Tommy Wright comes in and we sort of revert to kicking the life out of people and winning games like that, like we sort of did a bit under Laurie Sanchez. I mean, the, the thing I would say is if he comes in and, and, and takes us to the Euros, I couldn't care less how we're playing. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, as you say, and the other thing to mention on Michael O'Neill is 
while the football was progressive at times, there were games where it was a bit ugly. I mean, I think Ronald Koeman came out and uh, and and gave us a bit of stick for that one, unfairly in my opinion. But yeah. you know, we 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 can't uh, we can't like make out that it was all tick attack under Michael O'Neill, and it can't be when you're Northern Ireland manager. But no. as you say, you know, bringing through the youth um, style of play, playing good football when we can, when we're able to. It's a big thing, and it's something that Tommy Wright has been criticised for. And you know, it's worth mentioning that we we're not Scottish league experts. I mean, I don't think either of us have watched the St Johnson game between us in the last nine years. No, um, I wouldn't say. No. But we so we have to we have to go off. You know what 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 supporters say, what journalists say, um, and he has been linked with that direct style of play. I mean, the one thing I would say is he's. He, you know, he, he has actually won silverware everywhere he's went, even even with teams who aren't normally associated with that, like Lisbon Distillery winning them a major trophy, St Johnson, the Scottish Cup. I mean, there's a chance, like, say Tommy Wright takes the job, like 20 years' time in a Belfast pub, me and you're chatting, saying, you know what, it didn't really work out for Tommy Wright, but he did win a Stat Nations League in 2025. Yeah, true, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you win silverware, you really can't argue with that. Like, I, I think that's the one thing well, as a manager, if you're doing not many people can really kind of point a finger at you and say anything wrong, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's impressive. But as you say, I know we can't complain too much about style of play as Northern Ireland fans. We know our limitations. You know, we know that we're, you know, working under limited resources. But to me, you know, I would look at maybe St. Johnson, you know, that was a, a pretty high wage bill as well. You know, and he still wasn't really kind of managing to get the these guys playing the most progressive football, according to what we've heard, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah, I, I'd, I've written that down there as, as a sixth highest wage bill in the league. So, like, obviously in Scotland, what you have is um, is the, you've obviously got the old firm financial giants over there. And then you've got Hearts and Hibs in Edinburgh who, are, you know, have a bit more money than the rest. And then yeah. the rest of the teams are sort of much of a muchness in terms of wage bill, transfer budget uh, and resources. So, I mean, it, it was still, you know, it was a low wage bill. And I suppose you can give him credit for the fact that, um, you know, for having for having a low wage bill, something in and around the teams from fifth to twelfth, you know, they were never in trouble. So we can say that yeah, about Tommy Wright. Um, yeah. But it, it, there was there is a bit of a myth coming into it because everyone talks about you know this low budget and how Tommy Wright's done an amazing job on a low budget. And in reality, you know, every team. Every team in Scotland, apart from the four I mentioned, have a low budget. You know, so it's very, yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it, people talk about him as if it's a Leicester City job. You know, he's come in with it with no money and, and won them the league. But he's done as well as he could with this budget. But the idea that it's some incredible fairy tale, I'd slightly question that. Um, yeah. So the the other thing I've written down here, um, we can we can wrap up the, the chat on Tommy Wright because he's he's not he's not our choice as we've said numerous times already. Is obviously he was a goalkeeper as in his playing days and um, obviously has experience as goalkeeper coach as I mentioned at Shamrock Rovers and Norwich. But um you know we're, we're in a bit of a tricky situation with the goalkeepers at the minute. So you know if Tommy Wright did come in um maybe he could do a bit of work with them, sort that out a little bit and, and improve their careers. You could do a bit of work on the training ground with that as well. It's, it's something we we could think about. Yeah, no, definitely. I think we're, obviously we have concerns about playing time with some more keepers. You know, you look at, you know, McGovern, you look at um, Peacock Farrell as well. You know, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. getting the most minutes that we'd like them to get. And, you know, sometimes you might just need a coach to come in who's had that experience with the goalkeepers. They just kind of sit them down and, and pick them through it because we still, you know, we need one of these guys to be our first choice, you know, going yeah. forwards. We would want them to kind of be as confident as they can because that's never something you want. You don't want to really have a keeper, you know, that isn't playing football. You don't want any players necessarily if you can avoid it. That aren't playing football, you know, so that that's definitely something to look at He's, with his his past experience in that regard. Yeah, and it, it could be a wee favour for us, you know. Yeah, so like we will actually we're going to do a thing at the end of this podcast. So because we'll I'd say we'll do probably three or four podcasts before the next Northern Ireland game, if that's as is touted, it's going to be in September. So what what I was thinking of because it's like a a bit of a break, uh, you know, it's a new era. There's been a break in football. We could have a bit of a review of each of the positions. Um, obviously, today I think we said we're, we're gonna we're gonna have a chat about the strikers, um, but you know, goalkeepers is something we can talk about. So I don't want to focus in too much on that because we will talk about them uh, at the end of another podcast. But uh, something to bear in mind there, like I think the three keepers that were supposed to be in the squad to face Bosnia uh, were Pigot Farrell, McGovern, and uh, was it Trevor Carson? I think it was Trevor Carson. But yeah. uh, none of them had played any first team football this season in the league. Yes, you know, that's that turn, yeah. And that, that's your worry. And I know McGovern got some FA Cup games. And actually, actually, no, sorry, uh, that's not right. Because McGovern came in briefly. Oh, 
Yeah, very briefly played, didn't he? When Norwich were uh, their their two keepers got injured, he, yeah. he saved saved two penalties and conceded five in the same game. So like, if ever there was a, a mad one, <laughs> if ever there was a, a way of summing up Michael McGovern and his, his yeah. inconsistencies at club level, I think that's maybe it. But yeah, Peacock Farrell is first choice. He's the young one. He's a young up and coming keeper, and he's third choice at Burnley. So you know, a bit of a worry there. We need to get him playing football at some point. Um, but that's just something to think about to, to sort of end it on a positive with Tommy Rex. We know uh, a lot of people listening to this do like Tommy Wright and hold him in high esteem as I said before so just to end that on a bit of a positive you know if he comes in he can do a bit of work with our goalkeepers in the training ground and hopefully uh, clear up that situation a little bit for us so yeah. uh, we'll leave it there and I'll move on to Ian Barraclough so again I'll just run through his his sort of management career so far so he's 49 years old uh, did I mention Tommy Wright's Tommy Wright's 56 just written down their ages here um, so he was at Scunthorpe from t- 2006 to 2011 um, so he was a player actually until 2008, but he was head coach from 06 to 2010 to Nigel Atkins. You know, this is a guy who has uh, been thinking about coaching for a while. He's not just a player who you know has come to the end of his career. He's retired, and he's just thought, let's give this management thing a go. He's, he's clearly thought very seriously about this. Yeah. Um, and then he took over as manager in September of 2010. Uh, was sacked in March at Scunthorpe. So they, they'd sort of flitted between League One and the Championship for a while. Um, and he took them over. They were in a bit of trouble. Didn't really steer them out of it, and they ended up getting relegated anyway. So, you know, how much we can really read into that stint there, I'm not sure. But then he went and took over at Sligo Rovers in the League of Ireland, so did three years down there. Now, just bear in mind, obviously, uh, with these achievements here, the League of Ireland runs from, like, uh, February to November or something like that, so it's it's a summer league. Uh, so he took over at the start of 2012, but it was the start of the season. Uh, so actually won them the league in his first season there in 2012. That was their first league in 35 years. Uh, they've only won three leagues in their history and they've only finished uh, runners-up even three times as well. Although it's worth mentioning one of those runners-up was in 2011, the year before he came in. So massive achievement there to bring the league title to uh, Sligo Rovers. They finished third in 2013, five points off St. Pat's, who won the league. Uh, but they, he won the FAI Cup with them, which is like you know the equivalent of the Irish Cup or uh, the FA Cup in England. Uh, and then he was sacked in June 2014. Remember, that's the middle of the season. Uh, things sort of turned a bit sour. They were sitting fifth, 17 points off the top. Uh, so even though they won the Southampton Cup, uh, which is like, well, was the All-Ireland Cup, um, he still got sacked in that season. So even though it sort of turned sour in the end, as I said, uh, one silverware in each of the seasons there. Um, and then he took over at Motherwell, Brief stint at Motherwell in 2014, took them over in December. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, this won't be to, to, the, to the greatest pleasure of some maybe Rangers fans who support uh, or people who support Rangers in this podcast. But uh, I do have to remind you that he did win them a relegation playoff against Rangers 6-1 in Agri. So sort of steered them to safety in the final six months of the season and then won the, well, didn't steer them safety, steered them to that playoff and then won the playoff against Rangers. Then he was sacked eight games into the next season uh, after only picking up seven points and going out of the League Cup to Morton in this uh, to Greenock Morton, sorry, in the second division. And then briefly in 2016 was assistant to Stephen Robinson, who's the next guy we're going to talk about at Alden. And then and this is where he sort of really comes into his own. This is why um, he is is well, he's personally just about my choice for the job is his, his work with the Northern Ireland under-21s. So if I can just maybe briefly um, go through some of the uh, performances in the qualification for the under-21s in this decade. Um, so you've got 2011. So there's, I should mention, sorry, it's every two years there's a qualification for the Euros for the under-21s. So that's basically all you're playing for, as well as friendlies. So 2011, we finished second bottom uh, with seven points. 2013, second bottom with four points. 2015, last three points. 2017, last two points. 2019, so Barclough took over after 2017. 2019, 20 points second, two points off a playoff to qualify for the Euros, uh, which is just an absolutely incredible feat. Beat Spain, under-21s in Spain, the only team to beat them in their home, at their home patch, uh, I think, this decade. I think I read that somewhere. Um, so, you know, absolutely in- incredible performance from, from Barclough for the under-21s there. And obviously, in the interest of fairness, because you know he is my my call, and I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm just sort of talking about his successes and glossing over what could be perceived as failures. But taking three points from five games in this campaign, 
uh, and that was including a home draw to Malta. So things have gone a bit uh, a bit sour at the start of this campaign. Things haven't been quite as good, haven't quite reached those heights of the last campaign. Um, but give me your thoughts on Ian Barclough. Yeah, this, I mean, to me, this is really promising because I look at Ian Barclough and obviously the first thing you're going to look at is the under-21s job. But I do look at the Slagger Rovers thing as well. And I, I, I do think of a lot of similarities to Michael O'Neill when I look at this, you know, because obviously Michael was at Shamrock Rovers um, when he kind of had a lot of success. I think before that he managed like Brecon yeah. City or something, maybe he had like one job before that. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. you know, Barclough, it's almost a kind of like a mirror image. You know, he's had this one job before the Irish, you know, the Slagger Rovers job. And he's suddenly gone in and won the league with them. He's basically won everything he could win with them. You know, so at the point he's stacked with Sligo, you know, he's he's won the Satanta Cup last season and he's he's almost he's done everything, you know, essentially yeah. that he yeah. could do with Sligo Rovers. So I don't I never I don't look at that sacking and think, you know, that oh god, that's something you would condemn him for. Because for me, that's just one of those things that can happen in football. Things just got a bit star, like you say, things just kind of fell a bit steel. That can happen, you know, to any kind of manager in a lot of ways, you know. I do look at Sligo and think that's very impressive. Obviously, with Motherwell, you know, um, there was some kind, you know, some highs and some, you know, some lows as well there. Um, but like you said, the thing that stands out is that under twenty one's job. I mean, that is just statistically speaking, when you look at that from the from the outside, you know, it is absolutely unbelievable what he's done for that side. I mean, I think ever since kind of Michael took over the job, and we've kind of in the last few years as Northern Ireland fans. We've always kind of liked the idea of looking at the youth and, and looking at these players coming through. And I feel like it's like this really refreshing new approach we have to decide at the minute. And and Barclough has to take a lot of credit for that. You know, that's that's something that he's been at the helm of now for a few years. And he's done a terrific job. Like, I don't, I don't really think anyone else could have done the job he's done, really. I mean, that's that's almost unheard of. You know, that's a kind of superhuman effort. So they finished second to beat Spain away in Spain who have, have traditionally always had one of the best, you know, young sides in the world of football. You know, they always have amazing young players coming through with so many resources. Yeah, I, I think they maybe actually, did like, they win? They won the, the tournament in the end? I could be wrong. Oh, oh yeah. I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Won yeah. yeah, I think they might have won that one. They've won plenty across the years. I remember, like, watching, like, Ander Herrera and players like that come through in the young in the young Spain sides and all these guys who just, they go on to be fantastic players, you know? So, I mean, that, that's, that's a superhuman feat, really. From Barraclough in that regard, and I think, as you say, yeah, it's kind of gone a bit, a bit more of a struggle recently, and um, with three points from five games this campaign, you know, um, again that can happen. I just think that's to have that effort is remarkable, and you really have to look at that and think he could maybe, you know, carry this over with a lot of the young players we have on the side at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just actually trying to uh, to get up the Spain lineup that night because I remember there was at that time. I think they had like that guy Mayoral who was playing a bit for. I've probably butchered that pronunciation, by the way. Um, he was playing a bit for um, Real Madrid at the time. You know, big name. Um, yeah. In, in, in that regard, I think Audrey Zola. Audrey Zola, yes. Who's he playing for again now? He's in the he's in the Spain lineup. Is he at Bayern Munich? Maybe. I can't remember. Um, he, he, he's definitely spent time at Madrid. Um, yeah, I'm almost sure. Um, so he, I mean, he's he's a very highly thought of um, fullback in Spain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. you're talking about a side that does bring through a lot of these players, you know, in the past. Um, there's been so many players that have come through that side. It's just a side that's always had the resources to kind of build from. So, yeah. beating them, you have to look at that and think that's pretty remarkable, you know. And the amount of points he, he managed to gather was just, that's unheard of. And so unlucky to miss out in the playoff, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I can't find the lineup of their team there. But anyway, you know, as we've mentioned, really, really good players. World class for that level. And to, to go there... And uh, and and when was was just absolutely incredible. I remember. We, we, I think we were maybe playing that night. Um, was it a friendly against Israel? Me and you were at it. And I remember the news filtering through that we'd uh, that we'd beaten Spain, and it was just like absolute shock. You know? Yeah, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, I remember Spain, running Spain, the stadium. Was loving that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sp- Spain just don't lose games at under twenty one levels. Never mind yeah. us. Never mind at home. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I would say is like obviously I balanced that. Uh, when I was talking about the career history there, I balanced that out with the three points from five games this campaign. But, you know, arguably that's that's something that is, uh, that's something that maybe is him actually being a, a victim of his own success because, you know, the players he's nurtured and brought through there and the players he's had success with in that last campaign, obviously a lot of them have actually gone up to the first team and been taken off him. So, you know, while, while he's Very done an incredible true, job yeah. with them, he's done an incredible job with them, but, 
it's it's one of those things where you know you do really well, your players get taken off you, and then you start doing badly again. So you know, if he just maybe you know, picked up ten points, got beaten by Spain, probably would still have some of those players down there that maybe wouldn't have got the same recognition. But I yeah, don't, point. basically, what I'm saying is, I don't think that should be used against him in any way in the discussion uh, for this manager's job. I'll just bring this uh, on quickly as we sort of finish up on Ian Barclough because. And me and you have talked before in this podcast about how our squad's actually aging quite a bit. You know, you've got Davis, uh, Johnny Evans, Cathcart, all in their 30s. Now, don't get me wrong, I still think Johnny Evans can play for us for five or six years, but just making a point that some of the players who have been massive for us and in, in our success under Michael O'Neill are coming towards the end of their careers. Uh, you've got like Lafferty, Josh McGuinness. Uh, Josh McGuinness is, is, is only late 20s, but, you know, Lafferty's in his 30s as well. I mean, big, big players for us are going to slowly be fizzled out of this team and if I can just like um, read through this list of players here Paul Smith, Shane Lavery McCalmont, Galbraith, Bobby Burns Connor Hazard, Gavin White Jordan Thompson, Liam Donnelly Mark Sykes, Billy Peacock-Farrell and Jamal Lewis, they all made either made their debuts or were named in a Northern Ireland senior squad while Ian Barraclough was, uh, was manager of the under-21s so he's obviously nurtured some of those players up um, and prepared them for uh, the senior team. And you look at some of those players there, like Peacock, Farrell, Lewis, are shoe-ins in our side at the minute. Uh, Gavin White's always in the conversation to be starting. Thompson's done well, has got himself moved to the championship. You know, all these players were brought through internationally by, by Ian Barraclough. And, you know, if he does take the job, which personally, it would be my call. I know you're, I'd slightly lean towards Barraclough and you slightly lean towards Stephen Robinson, as we're going to talk about. But, I mean, that it's just, you know, it's one of those things where in terms of something we'll have to do, is bringing through the youth, and you know who who better to who you know, who knows them better than in Barraclough? Yeah, it's very true. I mean, obviously in football, a lot you know you hear this term like transition period, you know that comes up with with sides, and I do think you know it's coming to that stage now where we do have some of those aging players, like you say. I mean, the likes of Johnny Evans, Craig Cathcart, will still be in the sides. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. they will. They're quality Premier League footballers, but. It's, it's going to be a transition period for a lot of these players that are maybe seeing their way out now of the squad. And, you'd, you know, the, the way I see it with, with Barraclough and the reason why I'm actually kind of, you know, really happy with the idea of him being the manager as well. You know, I think it's close between him um, and Robinson for me. But the reason I'd be happy is because I do think he would handle that transition very well just because he knows these young guys and he, he seems to have a real grip on the youth setup with Northern Ireland. And that's something you just have to applaud and, and really... I think that would carry us through quite well in the next few years. So, I mean, I, I cannot fault you for, for wanting him to, to take charge, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I've said all I need to say on Barclough, so are you happy to move on to Stephen Robinson then? Yes. Perfect. So this uh, this section, sort of running through the, the managerial, his manager profile, is going to take a bit shorter because he's the youngest manager, uh, most inexperienced, although has you know been in management for four or five years. He's by no means uh, inexperienced in the coaching world. Uh, so he's 45 years old, the youngest of the three. Um, so if I can just run through it, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? He was with the Northern Ireland youth teams from 2012 to 2016, briefly managed the under-21s as well in Northern Ireland. Uh, and I think what we, one of the big things about, uh, about Robinson and one of, the, uh, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is the fact that he was assistant manager for Euro 2016. I actually didn't know that. I'm not sure how that sort of uh, slipped through my mind at the time. But um, yeah, he was assistant to, Mike, to Michael O'Neill uh, just, just for that tournament, actually. Uh, then took a job in League One with Alden. Uh, was appointed in July following... Uh, the fo- what, what have I written down there? Goodness me. Uh, Oh, following uh-huh. a month, a month as Michael O'Neill's assistant. Sorry, terrible notes, yeah. terrible preparation. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was sacked in January after only three league wins in twenty-four games. Um, there were three points from safety, and they actually did end up safe. Um, but I think he, he's talked a bit about that and his time there, and how he was. Uh, it wasn't, you know, sort of the right job for him at the time, and how he's learned from that. And then he went to Motherwell, and he's currently manager of Motherwell, so there were, he took over in 2017. Now, Motherwell were in all kinds of financial trouble when he took over. I mean, we've just mentioned there about Barraclough coming in, seemingly doing quite a good job to, to keep them up and then being sacked. You know, it was just a complete and utter mess of a club. Uh, he took over there, first of all, steered them to safety from taking over in March towards the end of that season. Then the following season, uh, finished seventh and got to both domestic cup finals in 2017-2018, uh, lost to Celtic 2-0 on both occasions. Uh, following season, 2018-19, came eighth. And then this year, as I've said, on points per game, um, finished third. 
So this would be uh, the first time they've qualified for Europe or qualified for a, a qualification for Europe. The terrible way I put that, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. First time they've got a Europa League place since 2015. Um, so he's brought European football back to to Fair Park. So, you know, just an incredible job he's done at Motherwell, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at the old him time he had, and you've you've said about this before. You know, he's commented many times on that how it just wasn't maybe the right job for him, and and the things that might have went a bit pear shaped on that in that front. You know, um, but I think you know for first, it's his first job in football, really. You know, that was his first proper go at management. Obviously, after being assistant and working with some of the youth teams of Northern Ireland in you know the years before that. So you know, you can maybe give him a bit of a pass on that one, and they ended up safe anyway. You know, them just in case you wanted yeah. to know there. But um, you have to look at the Motherwell job. You know that that is that's that's pretty good. You know, I'd say that's a pretty good job he's done there. You know. Um, Kind of Motherwell, one of the sides they are, one of the bigger sides, obviously in Scotland. But it has been a few years since they'd kind of really kicked on and had a, a really, you know, super season. And he's managed to do that for them. You know, getting Europa, you know, that's that's. I mean, that is an achievement. No matter what anyone says, you know, in in that league, um, whether where there is some serious competition, you know, from teams that will be competing for Europe, you know. But for me, the thing that sells sells me for Stephen Robinson is, you know, the job as assistant manager. You know, during the Euros, and you know, we've named the podcast. After that period of time yeah. for Northern Ireland, you know I mean, <laughs> I both know that that was, you know, such a splendid time for us. You know, when the things I read, you know, you, you sent me an athletic article on it. You know, there was so much that came up in that article that really shook me a lot. You know, I have to say, like, you know, he done. He, he said that he, you know, he was in about eighty percent of the coaching around the time, um, and Mike would come in in the days before games you know, around the qualification time and he would kind of take over from there and, and look at the game plan for the next day. Um, but, I mean, that is, that baffled me. I'm, su- I'm su- probably surprised you a lot as well. I mean, 80% of the coaching, you yeah. know, um, around the most successful period that we've seen in, in, in Northern Ireland as, a, as, a, as an Arsenal team, you know, so I, you have to look at that. You look at all the work he's done on set pieces. I think that he said it was 70, 75% of our goals came from set plays. Or no, yeah. we scored 70% of our goals from set plays and qualifiers. You know, that he, he's probably went over that and over that and over that, you know, in the different patterns in training. And he, he's, he's kind of been so close to the setup over that successful period. That's what sells me, you know, on the job. Mm-hmm. And he talked about his time at Motherwell as well, you know, with systems and how he likes to play, you know, football with that team. And, you know, it's very much about playing out from the back, you know, and, and, and giving it to the gifted wide players, you know, the players that can make a difference. And you look at Northern Ireland now, you know, a lot of the excitement does come from like why, you know, with, you know, Jamal Lewis overlapping with Jordan Jones, you know, we've talked about this a lot of times before, even Stuart Dallas, you know, when he's playing out wide, um, either pullback or wing, that's where a lot of the excitement and a lot of the chance creation comes from with Northern Ireland. That's how you create chances for corners, for set pieces as well, which we're so successful with. So all in all, when you look at his approach to the game and you look at his experience he's had, you know, alongside Michael and, and the job at Motherwell as well, it just seems like a little bit cheaper, maybe to me than Barclays. I don't know. Maybe you could argue it's a risk. You might argue it's a risk with his age and less experience. But I just think the fact that he's been so close to the setup, you know, during the Euros and things, that I like that a lot. You know, I don't. What do you think about 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 Robinson? Yeah, I mean, like I've literally, even as as I was doing a bit of preparation, reading a few articles today, like I've been flicking between Barraclough and Robinson as my choice. That's how unsure I am. That's how just how close in my head these two candidates are together. Um, I mean, something that I I actually forgot to talk about at the start of this podcast, we're going to sort of introduce this uh, new manager chat with like, what's what's the most important thing? That we we were look for in the next manager, and a couple of the things I wrote down there was your know, style of play. We've talked about that with Tommy Wright, and we've we, you know we've talked about that about how it's such a a big a big thing for Ian Barraclough. Everywhere he's go, he's gone, he's 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 played good football. You know, is results the most important? Is bringing through the next generation the most important? But arguably, what I'd say you know is is the most important thing is the continuation of what Michael O'Neill's done. I mean, you mentioned at the start of the podcast, you know, we just want a mini Michael O'Neill, <laughs> just somebody. Literally, mm-hmm. if, if if you if you want to go in and tell them, just say, just do what Michael would have told you. I mean, obviously, it's, the job's slightly more complex than that, but you know what I mean. It's continuation of that culture, um, and that style, and and that that level of of work ethic and preparation that Michael put into those games that made us so successful over the years. And um, you know, for me, if, if you are talking about you know continuation of Michael O'Neill culture, as you've mentioned and as you've you know outlined there. 
Stephen Robinson is the man. Um, what I would say is, in terms of like going between Barraclough and Robinson, uh, maybe we can just sort of bring that in. So we're going to talk at the end of this about you know how those two are, have actually been linked together in the past. So they're actually, I read an article as well saying they're like best mates and now they're like rivals for this this top job. But Bar- as, as was mentioned before, when Robinson was at Alden, Barraclough was his assistant. And when uh, Robinson was at Motherwell for that brief period, Robinson was his assistant. So, you know, you could even look at a thing there where if you could get Barraclough to do it, you could say, you know, Robinson comes in as manager and Barraclough is assistant manager because, you know, going from under 21s to assistant manager, potentially then when Robinson, if and when Robinson goes, you could you could see, you know, that would be the natural progression then to yeah. use Barraclough to give him a chance. You know, you could probably talk Ian Barraclough into doing that from the under 21s, whereas if it was Barraclough manager, would you be able to talk Stephen Robinson into doing assistant manager? Well, definitely not because he was already there and he left the... Uh, for the lure of first team management, so exactly. so yeah. would, like would, would would Robinson manager Barclough assistant? I mean, if we could do that, that's what I would go for. I mean, to me, that sounds like such a surefire long term plan. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like you're building for the future, like in a really really efficient way by doing that. You know, I think with these two managers, you know, they've they've shown that they can work with you know all sorts of resources. Like, I think Robinson and Motherwell, you know, he's kind of known for you know buying these players and then sell them on for a profit. You know, he's got a good eye for talent. And we already know that Barclough clearly has a good eye for talent as well. So I think you'd be getting two guys there that think similarly about the game, have a bit more of a progressive mindset when it comes to football, you know. And like you say, I think Barclough could maybe be convinced. Obviously, we don't know the guy, but he could yeah. be convinced to maybe come and, 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 you know, play second fiddle to Robinson just for this period of time. You know, who knows how long Robinson would be in the job in that case. But... I think what you'd be doing there is building a steady foundation for the future with, you know, a big emphasis on young players, an emphasis on, you know, progressive style of football. And I think, you know, that, that like you said, that could be the way to go about this in the, the best way, really. I think that could be the optimum way to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, spot on, 100%. Like, I completely agree with you. If, if that's a possibility... Um, definitely Robinson with Barclough's assistant. You know, that I just think that would, that would just have me... You know, from the depth of despair of Michael O'Neill leaving us and wondering where we're going to go from here, you know, that would actually get me really excited for the playoffs and the well, going to be excited for the playoffs anyway, but get me excited for the next generation, the next era of Northern Irish football, where maybe I think we were thinking for a while there that, uh, you know, it was going to be a bit grim for a while. Maybe we we're going to revert to the mean um, and go back to, to what we've always known Northern Irish football to be. Yeah, I think there would be a bit of assurance for a lot of those fans like us that have kind of. You know, be paying attention to Northern Ireland in, in more recent years. You know, it would be a nice bit of assurance, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of fans. You know, to have something like that in place because I think it would show you know some really good preparation from from those in charge at the top. You know, to to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, just if it was between Barclough and Robinson, my like my argument that would slightly tilt me to Robinson would actually probably be an argument for many people. For uh, sorry, did I say for Robinson? My argument that would yeah. tilt me towards Barclough. Yeah, exactly. Um, that would be it would actually be an argument that would maybe tilt more people towards Robinson it's just the fact that you know I, I get a bit of a good vibe off him in Barclough generally you know I like him I like the interviews that he's done you know uh, he comes across very well but it's just the idea of I think with as you said it's, it's a bit safer with Robinson and maybe that's why he should be the choice but for me I'm just thinking with Barclough it could go disastrously or it could go absolutely incredibly yeah, I just think that excitement. You know, I'm a bit of a, you know, I enjoy you know taking a risk personally, with everything, and I just sort of think you know maybe that risk just excites me slightly more. Maybe that's why I'm yeah. leaning towards him. But well, it, yeah, you know, much of a muchness, really, isn't it? Well, here's the thing: if we didn't take risks, you know, I don't think Michael O'Neill would have been in charge anyway. You know, yeah, yeah. And probably. I think that's something you have to look at. You know, we we did take a bit of a risk with this guy who'd only had a couple of jobs in management. Now, obviously, Michael had a playing career. You know, I think he had over 400 club appearances. And I think 30-odd for Northern Ireland, you know, senior side. But in terms of management, he just had that Shamrock job. And I know he did a great job with Shamrock Rovers. But at the end of the day, you know, that's still the risk you're taking on a guy to come in and, and do this national job. And, and what Michael's done has been, you know, a clear example of what can happen if you take a risk and you, you, you know, but it's a bit of a calculated risk, you know. I don't yeah. think Barakov's necessarily like a, a shot, a complete stab in the dark. Yeah. I think he's... You know, an element of a calculated risk is, is involved there, you know. And I yeah, think that 100%. could be, end up paying off. I, I really I really wouldn't be surprised, man. Yeah, I know. 
I'm, I'm, I'm completely agree with that one. And the, the other thing to mention is I, I don't actually have the exact figures for this, but we did run a poll on the Spirit of 2016 Facebook page. By the way, give that a like, please. Um, do you have already? <laughs> um, and it was, uh, it was just, I just did it between Barclough and Robinson. And Wright, no, I did it with Tommy Wright as well. Um, yeah. And um, it, it was one of those things, you know, like like Hart and Laugh React or whatever. Uh, and it came back, you know, 60% of fans want Robinson. So, you know, and, and I mean, after that, you know, Ian Barclough was still quite a distance ahead of Tommy Wright. So, you know, by far the two the two outstanding candidates for this job, not to, not to take away from Tommy Wright's achievements. I just think, you know, with these two, I'd just be so excited about the new era. Um, yeah. And let's just wait and see. Let's hope it's let's hope it is one of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think you can go wrong with either. Really, you know. I think yeah. I think both of them are some kind of natural progression from Michael O'Neill. They both know each other well. Like these are two guys that I think both have potential to do a pretty good job with this. In the, you know, for for Northern Ireland. But ultimately, like either way, I'd be pretty happy. I just think I would sway a little bit with uh, with Stephen Robinson. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, coming to the end of this podcast. So as I mentioned earlier, briefly. Uh, we're going to, because it's a new era, because there's a bit of a break, we're going to take each of the positions in the next couple of podcasts, starting with the strikers. And we're just we're literally, we were just mentioning before this, we might we might indeed have done this because we've done literally no preparation, no agenda on this whatsoever. It's a complete wildcard chat. Um, but where are we at with the strikers? If I can briefly like sort of go through them in my head and where they're at, it's a bit of a, well, I mean, it's been a bit of a tricky situation, the whole, the whole, the last 10 years or so ever since we had David Healy firing uh, on yeah. all cylinders apart from obviously the couple of years where, where Lafferty was doing really well for us but Kyle Lafferty's now out of contract with Sunderland uh, they didn't get promoted so you know even if his contract's renewed there he's going to be playing League One football highly doubt he's going to be playing at any level any higher than that at the minute uh, Hearts were relegated on points per game from the championship so Connor Washington and Liam Boyce potentially playing Scottish championship football next season which you know, it's not a it's not a horrific level of football, but ideally we'd like our number nine to be played uh, against a bit tougher opposition week in, week out. Um, and Hearts released uh, like a list of 13 players that they're releasing from the club or letting go. And neither Washington, Washington nor Boyce uh, were on that list. So they, you know, it's looking likely that, that they will be there, especially Liam Boyce, who only signed in January. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Uh, Josh McGuinness, um, so the championship is coming back, so we will get a chance to, to have a bit of a look at Josh McGuinness um, in the next few games. But, you know, Hull are, are two points above the relegation zone. If things go wrong, that's another player who could be playing in League One next season. Um, I'm not sure if he'd get a move back up to the championship. Obviously, he did when Bolton got relegated. Got his move back up to, Hill, to Hull, sorry. And that could have been, you know, potentially a, a bit of, because Grant McCann's there, it, you know, he could have, that could have slightly swayed that decision. Would he have got a championship club otherwise? I'm not sure, to be honest. Will Griggs just finished, isn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, we've not... never been very well sold on, on Grigg. Yeah, um, he's he's not even getting in the squad for Sunderland. Did, you didn't watch that documentary, Sunderland Till I Die, did you? No? I didn't get a chance to watch it. No, I did hear a lot of things about it, to be fair. Yeah, so he, he features heavily in it. So, like, he's their record signing by quite a distance, I think. Or maybe, uh, I'm not sure if that's right, because we're a Premier League club for so many years, but he's their, certainly their record sign in the last in the last few years since they went down. Anyway, yeah. they spent a lot of money on him, like three three or four million, I think it ended up being. Yeah. Um, for such a, for, you know, for a League One club, that's just a mad, mad amount of money. It was the, sorry, it was the League One uh, transfer record for a League One that's team. Right. That, was, that was what it was. Yeah. Um, so, like, he was brought in there with high expectations, and now he can't even get the squad. I mean, Kyle Lafferty was brought in. He was playing ahead of him. I think Charlie White was there. I'm not. I'm not exactly clued up on who's playing up top for the Black Cats, but um, and obviously the other the other one we've mentioned was was Shane Lavery. I mean, maybe we'll start with Lavery because you know we were really excited about him this time last year. Uh, he just he come back to Linfield and he burst onto the scene in the Europa League qualifiers. I mean, almost single handedly fired Linfield to the group stage of the Europa League. It was it was absolutely incredible what what this guy was doing at such a young age, but doesn't seem to have really kicked on this season. I mean, we haven't we haven't watched a lot of the Irish League, but his, his, his numbers aren't as good as what we thought they would be. And you know what? I'm not even sure he's going to get a move back over to the mainland. 
Yeah, that's a funny one. It's, it's one of those things that can happen. Like, you just, you find himself on, you know, a real purple patch and a real hot streak, and, and you can just go cold again like that. And and I think Shane Lavery is a victim of that. You know, it was it was nice to have that buzz, and we were super excited to maybe see this guy in the setup, but it just hasn't really continued for him, you know. And, and ultimately, if you want to get into these squads and be playing a regular part in the squad, you know, you, consistency is a pretty key word, you know. So, yeah. Shane just hasn't really found that necessarily, um, you know, looking beyond that mad um, Europa League spell he had, you know? Yeah. And obviously, like, even in the squad in November, which was the last game we've played in that in that Germany game where we got hammered, um, he, he was in that squad still, but it, it raised a few eyebrows, really, that he was still there because he hadn't really been firing for Linfield in the first few months of that season after no. the Europa League qualifiers. And, you know, I think, there was a part of me that thought when I saw Shane Lavery in the squad over the likes of uh, maybe a Will Gregor, a Kyle Vassell, or even Kyle Lafferty at some points, I thought it was like Michael O'Neill trying to get his name out there to, to try and you know persuade clubs in England, maybe a League 2 club or a League 1 club, to, to take a risk on this guy again. Um, and, you know, we mentioned about Ian Barclough and the win in Spain. Shane Lavery scored that night for the under-21s, has done very well for the under-21s, so he's obviously a player that Ian Barclough's going to be keeping a close eye on, but Oh God, I, just, I just don't know. Well, Lavery, the, the hype seems to have died down a bit. And you know what? He could start next season and, and bang in 40 goals and get a transfer to League One. Who knows? But right now, it's it's not really a viable option for us, is it? No, I don't think so. I think that's that's one that you just you can't really put too much faith in if he hasn't been delivering on a consistent basis, you know? Yeah. Yeah, spot on. Uh, just let, let's let's maybe talk about Connor Washington next. I mean, he's somebody that, you know, coming up to the Bosnia game, we were talking about this guy as as who we want to play. I mean, he he obviously had those performances against. Well, I mean, the Germany game he, he is obviously renowned for his misses in those games, but his overall um, in that game, sorry, but his overall pressing and his, his the style of play we were able to play with Washington up front was uh, was really encouraging. And uh, actually, the the, the, the sort of um, the not not the not the known void. Why do I keep saying that? The, the points per game thing. The end of the season in Scotland came at the wrong time for him because he was actually starting to fire for Hearts. He was starting to score a couple of goals, uh, mm. scored away in the Edinburgh Derby, and, and those supporters were really starting to love him. And actually, you know, Boyce was brought in for big money. That was a big signing for them. But he actually um, established himself towards the end of that season as the first-team striker, you know. So we'll just have to, you know, what, 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 do, you, what do you think of Washington? Would he, if you were picking a team for Bosnia tomorrow, which is a ridiculous question to ask because there's going to be so much that happens including the return of football, including the new manager and stuff, you, would you still be going for Washington or what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a real shame for Connor, you know, that to, for the season that, like you said, for the season to just finish when he's finding a hot streak because he's, I think he's always struggled. He just finds inconsistent scoring at club level, you know, and I think that's something with Connor that he's, he's always kind of struggled to find consistent goals and that's nothing to knock him because, you, you know, you and I are both huge fans of Connor Washington actually and what he can bring to, to Northern Ireland. Um, but, you know, I, I do think he would still certainly, you know, feature in my team sheet, to be honest with you, man. Like, for, for what he gives, I think it's such a clear difference in, in the side that he makes. You know, if, if you're really looking and paying attention to the game, it is such a clear difference that's made with Connor Washington in the side. Now, there might be an argument for Liam Boyce as well, who we'll get on to. But, um, you know, Washington is one of those players that I've always just been a fan of because he will work tirelessly and he will genuinely make a difference in that regard for Northern Ireland. Yeah, no, I completely echo everything you've said there. And it's just like, it's just a shame with Washington. Like, he might find himself in a bit of a tricky situation next season. I mean, certainly the form, as I've mentioned, he was shown towards the end of this season would have warranted him at least, at the very least, end the Scottish Premiership. But I just don't know if he's going to get that opportunity now. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. So, yeah, we're talking about like Liam Boyce and, and McGuinness as well. Um, it's one of those where, you know, if you talk about Washington, Boyce and McGuinness all together, it's, they all offer different things, but none of them are really the complete striker. Obviously, because we're otherwise we wouldn't be talking about this as a massive problem. And um, you know, if we yeah. had somebody who could uh, have the all-round play of, of of Connor Washington, but could score the goals, then you know, obviously they're on our team all day long. Same with Boyce McGuinness, maybe give you a bit more physically, can hold the ball up a bit better. But our you know, Boyce has never really done it for Northern Ireland. Yeah. Boyce is a funny one. Just, you know, he's he's so prolific. He's been so prolific so many times at club level. You know, you look at some of his 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 records. You know, in terms of scoring goals at club level, I mean, pretty pretty unbelievable statistically. You know, in some seasons that Liam Boyce has had some really high scoring seasons. You know, at yeah. club level. But like you and I just haven't 
really been totally convinced by Boyce. You know, he's had some moments here and there, but he just really hasn't done it necessarily for Northern Ireland, I'd say. You know, I think he's definitely got some fans who, you know, who look at his goals and, and immediately think that that will translate to the Northern Ireland side, you know, but we've never really been convinced by him, you and I, when we, we've seen him, you know, even watching him live and stuff, you know, you just you just want a bit more from him sometimes when he's playing. And, and that's, I don't think you never really say that about Connor Washington, do you know what I mean? No, definitely not. Yeah. No, like Washington's overall play, I suppose they're, they're like polar opposites of each other because Washington gives you everything off the ball. He gives you running, he gives you energy, he gives you 100%, he gives you pressing, but he doesn't give you the goals. Whereas, you know, if Boyce gets the chance, he's probably going to take it, but it's about yeah. getting him the chance and that's the issue exactly. with Boyce. Exactly. You know, there, there, there are games, I, I, you know, I can't really remember he has got a couple. He has maybe got one or two goals for us, and but I can't remember even having really any other chances for Northern Ireland. Never no. goals, you know, and that's and like just I, a major yeah. one. I'd be okay about it if he was maybe you know offering himself up as a target man and maybe you know integrating play and holding up play really well. But I don't really see that from Boyce necessarily either. You know, yeah, you don't really get to see those intricate kind of hold up play moments from him. You know, you know, heading the ball down for someone, you know, to take a strike on goal or whatever. You just don't really see that from him. You know, so you kind of wonder what is he. Whereas with yeah. Connor Washington, you know what he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. obviously you can say Boyce is goal scorer, but he hasn't done it. Do you know what I mean? At, at international level. So with Washington, you know what you're going to get. With Boyce, you're just not sure what he necessarily is at international level. Yeah, 100%. And um, just like maybe to wrap this up, the only one we haven't really talked about is McGuinness. And, you know, Josh McGuinness is probably, I mean, he's playing at the highest level of any of our strikers, certainly. Um, and ordinarily, you would say maybe Josh McGuinness would be the obvious choice to start up front for Northern Ireland. But one of the things that maybe goes against McGuinness in that regard is just how good he's been off the bench for us. You know, this guy is, I'm sure he won't like, I've, we've mentioned this before, he, he won't like us saying this, but he has really become like the, the Solskjaer or the Fairclough of, uh, of Northern Ireland. You know, it's, yeah. when you think, um, you know, off the bench to score against Holland, off the bench to score against uh, Belarus, again, got the double in Estonia. I mean, he's been a massive part of, of you know, uh, obviously coming off the bench as well against Ukraine he didn't score the goal but he was a big part yeah, in that but he was, yeah he came out of the corner flag and we oh, nearly yeah. screamed <laughs> nearly mate nearly <laughs> yeah we did scream there was no nearly about it TV <laughs> was about to go out the window if they went the up the other jo- the yeah Josh McGinnis like, he's come up on this podcast so many times we've had the same debate over and over again about Josh McGinnis and like yeah. you know, I'm I'm one of his fans, but honestly, just for some of the moments he's given us, you know, like yeah. he has scored some really important goals for us. Like, don't get me wrong, he has been such an integral part of this side. But I, you know, I, I do, I think I've kind of, as time's gone by, I've started to kind of side with you on it. You know, I do start seeing him as that option off the bench because he can really give you something off the bench. You know, a big threat. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That like it's. It's one of those we mentioned when we were talking about Barraclough there as well, about how he was the victim of his own success with the players going up. And Josh McGuinness's sheer excellence off the bench for us in recent years has, has probably meant that he, he hasn't actually given himself a chance to start. And he's just now seen as the guy who comes off the bench and gets us an important goal. Um, but you know what? If, if, that's, if that's his role, then he'll, he'll still go down into an Ireland history if he, if he can fire us to another tournament. You know, let's, let's just keep an eye on that one. Yeah. Uh, Happy to wrap it up there. Anything else you want to say before I, I bring this to a close? No, that's great. I mean, certainly there's was, was a lot to wait for in terms of this this decision on the manager coming to, you know, to Northern Ireland. There's a lot of news to come still about that. Um, it was good to kind of dive into it a bit more. And, you know, I learned a lot even just kind of researching these guys before the podcast there. You know, there's there's, there's exciting times, I think, still to come if, if, we, if we make the right call, you know? Yeah. Yeah, spot on. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We will do... Uh, our reaction podcast of course we will when the new manager is announced um, we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail than what we did here and also you know I've, I've got a couple of people lined up actually like uh, a Motherwell fan if Robinson gets a job a bar a, a bar club fan a uh, Slag Rovers fan uh, I you could say they're a bar club fan to be fair <laughs> well they would be I mean they, he did yeah. bring the league title there so they probably <laughs> are a bar club fan but it's not what I have to say um, but yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. What I was saying there, just we'll have somebody on to talk about that. Somebody who can talk from the perspective of actually watching those teams every week and can really give us an insight uh, into their style of play. But that's for another podcast. So as I say, we're going to do one maybe next week if of the time, and um, about just sort of the rest of it. What football, you know, what football is basically now the new normal, as everyone keeps saying, um, unprecedented times, all that, blah blah blah. Um, and we're going to talk like about um, you know the Nations League potential triple headers, uh, which is just mental. I mean, imagine a triple headers of away days if you could go. 
it would just be crazy, but it doesn't look like it yeah. uh, anyway. But all, yeah, something yeah, we'll yeah. Talk, all something we'll talk about later on. So just to wrap up on this one, um, just yeah, give the Facebook page a like. Always plug the Facebook page. Bit of news goes up there, a bit of coverage. Been trying to do as much as I can with it. Obviously, there's not much coming through at the minute, so I'm struggling a bit, but um, I'll see what I can do in that one. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Spirit of 2016 Pod, not podcast, so Spirit of 2016 Pod. You'll find us on there. Uh, I would like a few more people to actually get on there because the Facebook page is, is going really well, but we haven't really kicked off on Twitter yet. So uh, if you could do one thing for me, um, give, us a, give us a follow on there as well. We're also on Instagram as well, if you fancy that. Um, just all a bit of coverage. But uh, apart from that, Luke Niblock, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, obviously, thank you. And don't be afraid, anyone to kind of tweet at us or comment, you know, anything you might want us to cover on a podcast in the future. You know, I think that's always good to get involved. Yeah, 100%. You know, we're, 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 we're new to this as well, relatively new to this. So anything you think we should talk about, we'll be more than happy to do that. Um, so yeah, all that's left for me to, to say is thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.